indeed grateful that you've come this evening. If you have your Bible with you, we're going to study some passages in just a few moments from God's Word to show us how that we ought to live and how that we as the children of God ought to conduct our lives before the world that they might know that we're the children of God. We appreciate so much those who are visiting with us this evening. We invite you to attend any of our services here at Park Avenue Church of Christ. One of the major problems that faces man today is to determine what is right religiously. There was an article in a recent magazine which stated that there's now over 1,200 religious denominations in the United States. How is one going to know what the Lord would have him follow? In the first century, it would have been easy to know who were the children of God, for there was only one group of people that claimed to be the children of God. Those who had obeyed the gospel and were New Testament Christians were the only one who claimed to be following the Lord Jesus Christ. In the first century beginning, you find that the church fell away that it began to practice things that the Bible did not authorize, and that men arose who were not doing as Jesus would have them do in the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, and others. With this happening, it became increasingly difficult to tell who were God's children. What is it that marks the children of God? to show that they are indeed the children of God. There are set forth in the New Testament some characteristics by which we might identify those who are truly the children of God. The Bible states very clearly that simply because one is a religious person does not so designate him as being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew 7, beginning with verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name, and by thy name cast out devils, and by thy name do many mighty, wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Here are people who claim to be religious people, and yet they're not really the children of God. It's up to us to know who are the children of God, and the Bible so designates characteristics that we might very easily determine who are God's children. In the 13th division of the book of John, you'll find that there had been some problems between the apostles. In Luke 22, you have the background of what's found in John chapter 13. And Luke 22 records that there had been strife among the apostles over who was the greatest, verse 24. And it was out of the strife that they had had among themselves that Jesus said in John chapter 13, A new commandment give I unto you that you love one another. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. Jesus said that the way to determine who are truly my followers is to look at their attitudes towards one another. Do they love one another? 
In Hebrews chapter 13, the Bible says, Love the brotherhood. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, you'll find that the Apostle Peter designates again that we're to have the proper kind of love for one another when he says, And above all these things, have fervent charity or love among yourselves. And he goes on to say that charity or love covers a multitude of sins. If we want to determine whether we're the children of God or not, we can look at our attitude and love toward one another. You see, this is one of the characteristics of God's children, that we have the proper attitude toward one another, the proper love toward one another. And in this is the, are the children of God made manifest. If you want to know whether we're God's children or not, look at your attitude in love. Love, of course, is that that is according to the will of God. And one cannot serve God without love. One cannot love his brethren without serving God in the proper way. One would not leave one in error and say, I loved him. But love is that that keeps the commandments of God. John says his commandments are not grievous. You know why? Because of love. When the commandments of God are grievous, it's because we don't really love God like we ought. For love is that that takes the grievousness out of serving. One who loves serves. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ was saying to his apostles in John 13, 34 and 35. Here are the apostles, they're at strife among themselves. They're concerned about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 22 and verse 24. They're wondering about which of them is great. Who's going to be servant? Who's going to sit on the right hand of the Lord? Who's going to be in the highest position in the kingdom of God? Jesus said a new commandment, Give I unto you that you love one another. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have loved one for another. He had demonstrated that love in the first 13 verses of John 13. In washing the feet of the disciples, he demonstrated and gave them an example of serving love, the kind of love that we as God's children ought to have towards one another. And so the children of God can be determined by their love for their brethren, their love for one another. Secondly, God's children can be determined by their unity. In the book of John, again, in the 17th division of the book of John, we find that Jesus is going to the cross. He's going into the Garden of Gethsemane, and there he prays to the Father just prior to going to the cross. And he prays not only for himself, not only for those apostles that are there present, but for those who would believe on, his, on their word, for those who would become Christians in later time. And he said, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them that believe on, also that believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, even as thou art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world might believe that thou didst send me. How does one determine whether God's children or who are God's children? You look at the unity of the Lord's church. You see, you cannot have men going in different directions and them being in unity. 
You can take two cats and tie their tails together, one going this way and one going this way, and they're united, but there's no unity there. I know some young boys that tied two together one time, threw them over the clothesline to watch them fly. They were in union, but there was no unity. In order to have unity, we've got to go in the same direction. The Apostle Paul expressed it this way in Philippians 3 and verse 16. By the same rule, let us walk. In order to have unity, we've got to take God's Word as our guide and allow that to be our only authority in religion. You can't have unity otherwise. Can anyone say that the religious world is united? Could anyone say that the denominational world in the city of LaGrange is at unity or united when you've got churches on almost every corner, churches sometimes almost facing one another, preachers getting up in pulpits, one saying that baptism sprinkling, another saying baptism immersion, one saying that you must be a member of the church in order to be saved, another saying that you do not have to be a member of the church in order to be saved. Could there be any unity in that? There's no way that that can be unity. You see, the lack of unity in the religious world is what confuses people to die. They begin to wonder, are there truly those in the world today who are the children of God? My answer is unequivocally, yes. Those who are serving God and trying to follow the New Testament as their guide in matters of religion. Those who take the rule book as laid down by God, who say, we'll speak where the Bible speaks. First Peter 4, verse 11, if any man speak, they speak as the oracles of God. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. And out of that love and that love of God grows unity based upon God's Word. Believing the Bible. You can't have unity this very verse. As Jesus prays in the garden says that there can be no unity without that unity is based upon the word of the apostles. You see, the religious world today is striving to be in union with one another and to agree to disagree. To agree to disagree accomplishes nothing only when we agree that there's only one standard, and that standard the Bible, and we live by that standard can there be real unity. The gospel unites. In the Ephesian letter, in the second division of that letter, the Apostle Paul talks about how that he went to the cross to make peace, and he united both Jew and Gentile under the cross. The gospel unites. It makes one. It makes peace. But only when we follow the gospel. Do we want to know how to choose or how to find out who are the children of God? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Unity. In the third place, in order to demonstrate to the world that we are the disciples of Christ, we must stand firm and steadfast. When you turn to the second division, the book of Acts, you find that the church was established on the day of Pentecost and some 3,000 had obeyed the gospel and Acts 2 and verse 42 says that they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, the fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayer. Verse 47 says that they had favor with all the people. 
they could see in the lives of those who had obeyed the gospel that they were following Christ. Why? Because their religion to them was steadfast. Their religion to them meant something. It was not a matter of sporadic religion. You know, I've seen people who have sat on the corner or sat side by side in houses and they saw a couple as each Sunday morning they got up early in the morning, they prepared themselves, they went to the car, they went to Bible study and they went to church services that night. They were back at church services Wednesday night. They were there at church services. If anything was happening with the Lord's people, they were a part of it. Never said a word to them. And one day they said, I'm go they might invite them and say, we're having a meeting. They said, yes, I'll go with you. Why? They were steadfast. Their religion meant something to them. It was evident in their lives that their religion was something that was important in their life. That there was benefit that they received from it, or else they would not have been so steadfast in it. When we live the kind of lives that we ought to live, a steadfast religious life will show the world that we mean business about this business of religion. It will show the world that we stand for the Lord Jesus Christ and that we're indeed His children. You'll see this thing develop as you come on down through the pages of the book of Acts. In the third chapter of the book of Acts, Peter and John go up by the temple. There's a lame man who's laying by the gate beautiful. They healed the lame man. They're called in before the Sanhedrin because they healed that lame man. They're called in question and they answer the Sanhedrin. In the fourth chapter, we find them again. They lay hands on them. They bring them in. And the Bible says in verse 13 of the fourth chapter, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they'd been with Jesus. Are we bold in our religion? To read the fourth chapter of the book of Acts here in verse 13, it said that they saw the boldness of Peter and John. They perceived that they'd been with Jesus. You come on down to verse 29 and it said, when they prayed, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may speak thy word. You come down to verse 31, it says when they had prayed, the place where they were was shaken, or where they had assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And it's out of that that you get down to verse 32, and it says the multitude of them were one, that believed were one heart and one soul, neither of them had all of the things they possessed with his own, they had all things common, and with great witness gave the or with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great peace was upon them all. Here are those who stand bold for truth. What's our attitude when we're questioned concerning things of religious nature? Do we shrink back in shame? Or we with boldness defend the truth of God? Not ugly or harshly, but in love, stand for what the Bible teaches. These are those in the first century that with boldness proclaimed the will of God. They weren't ashamed that they were Christians. They were like the Apostle Paul when he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. 
For the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth is you first and also the great. We need boldness. Boldness in our Christian lives will show the world that we're the children of God. It did in this case. And the principle is it was there in the first century. It's true today. When we're bold and stand for the truth of God, people take notice and they understand that these are those who defend their faith. They stand for what's right. They believe the truth of God and they're ready to defend the truth of God. Then you'll turn on over. You'll find many, many occasions through the New Testament that shows us how that we show the world that we're indeed the children of God. In the second division, the book of Philippians, you find a passage that says, beginning with verse 14, do all things without murmuring or complaining. Let me read that again. Do all things without murmuring or complaining, that you may be blameless and harmless sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and a perverse nation whom you shine as lights in the world. When the call goes out for service, do we murmur and complain and say, well, they ought to get somebody else? The most harm that I know that has ever been done to congregations of the Lord's church is never done from without, but from within. And attitudes of heart are always that that cause the most harm. This passage says that if we want the world to know that we're God's children, that we do things without murmuring or complaining. And that we stand ready to serve God. We sang a song just a few moments ago that said that we were willing to work for the Master. The attitude that we have as God's children reflects Christianity to the world. They see that as it comes up in our life. Paul said that you do all things without murmuring or complaining, that you might be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and a perverse nation among whom you shine as lights to the world. Also, he goes on to say that we hold forth the word of life, that we may rejoice in the day of Christ, and having not run in vain, neither labored in vain. And so the world sees our Christianity. They see us as we walk down the pathway of life. But then again, you turn to the book of 1 Peter, and you find several things that are recorded in that book that show the world that we're the children of God. Among them in the second chapter, you see that the purity of our lives will show whether or not we're God's children. In 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 11, he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, and having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they behold, glorify God as in the day of visitation. Here's the world as it looks as Christians. This passage says that they look at your life. And as they view your life, they see your good work. Why? Because you realize you're a stranger and pilgrim on this earth. And that realization causes a Christian to live a distinctive life. He doesn't live like those of this world back in verse 9. He said that we are a royal priesthood, a peculiar people. 
We're strange in that we're from a different country. The word peculiar there denotes the fact that we're a purchased people. We've been brought with a price. And we live like God's children, and they see that in our lives. You come on the, over to the fourth chapter, and you have this further iterated in First Peter 4 and verse 4, when they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of right, speaking evil of you. And so here are those who are viewing the lives of Christians, and he says that they think it strange because you're not a partaker of their sin. You don't live like they do. You live a distinctive life, and thereby the world can tell that there's a difference between you and them. I'm afraid in many places the Lord's church tonight is just like the world. I wish I could didn't have that to record. And yet there are those in the Lord's church in many places who defend things that the world does and participate in the sins of the world. They don't defend it with Bible. They'll say, I feel like that's all right. I think that's all right. Why don't you know we've got to participate in that to win them to Christ? You'll never win anyone by compromise. When we believe the Bible, we must answer from the Bible. And if we purport, as we do purport, and we do believe God's Word, then our activities in life must be Bible controlled. Our purity of life is set by the Bible, and we understand, and we should understand, that the Bible determines what I do in my practice of life and how I walk my everyday life. My life ought to be worthy of the vocation of Christ, Ephesians 4 and verse 1. And so this passage says that by our purity of life, that they know whether we're God's children. In the third division of the same book, he says the same thing in talking about wives and says that wives could win their husbands to the Lord when their husbands were not Christian by their adorning. And he said it's not an outward adorning of plaiting of the hair, the wearing of gold, the putting on of apparel. But he said, let it be, verse 4, the hidden man of the heart. And that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, great Christ. And so it's by purity of life, then, that one can be one to the Lord Jesus Christ. By lives that are lived distinctively. I've got a poem somewhere, and if I'd have thought about it, I'd have brought it tonight if I could have found it. It says, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. The lives that are lived must come up to the sermons that are preached. Each of us must allow what we believe and what the Bible teaches to be our lives. When we follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ, we follow his example, then what we preach is what we live. And that's the standard of our life. Because, you see, the Bible is intended as a guide for life, not something we simply study and talk about, but something we put in practice in our life. As a matter of fact, in James chapter 1, James says, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own sake. So we need to understand that the world can tell whether we're the children of God by the distinctive lives that we live. 
Finally, the world can tell whether or not we're God's children by the doctrine that's preached. What is it that's preached? The Bible is written so that we may know what the Lord requires of us. The Bible gives us a standard to live by. And the Bible should determine the way that our lives should be lived. In the Philippian letter, you'll find that the Apostle Paul again talks about that we should hold forth the word of life, that I might rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. It's the word of life that will show the world whether we're God's children. John 17 that we read a few moments ago, John declared how that this unity would be based upon what the apostles taught. The world can tell what's taught. I would urge anyone and everyone who hears me preach any time to take what I say, open your Bible, and compare it to God's Word. In the book of Acts, in the 11th division of that book, the Bible says, And now these, that is the Bereans, were more noble than those at Thessalonica, and that they searched the Scripture daily to see whether these things were so. If it were not such that man could be mistaken, could be wrong in religion, if it were not such that man could stand up and blatantly on purpose teach false doctrine, there'd be no need to search the Bible. But anyone could take the word of any preacher. But the truth is that there are those, even this very night, who are preaching things that they got from the devil and not from the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're not going to get up and announce to the audience and say, what I'm preaching tonight comes out of the devil's book. Oh, no. They'll hold up a Bible and they'll read from that Bible and they'll say, I'm preaching the Bible. If they were to say, I'm going to preach from the devil's handbook, you'd say, I won't listen. I've never had that. But the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 1 that what they do is they preach a perverted gospel. Because they recognize the facts unless it purports to be the truth and nobody's going to obey. Nobody's going to listen to it. And so they take the truth of God and pervert it. If you have the truth of God and you add anything plus anything or the truth of God minus anything what you've got when you get through is a L-I-E lie. A lie. Truth is truth. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is true. And that's the only thing that can save a man's soul today is the word of the Lord. John 12, 48, Jesus said, He that rejecteth men receiveth not my saying, hath one that judgeth him. The word that I speak, the same shall judge him in the last day. We'll face God in judgment and be judged according to the truth of this book. In Romans, the second chapter, the apostle Paul said that we would be judged according to his letters, according to what he has written to us. And he said that that's the law that would judge us, the secrets of his, or the secret of his gospel. 
the gospel that Paul preached would judge us when we stand before God, Romans 2 and verse 16. We need to understand that since we'll be judged by it, we must live by it. We can try the spirits. 1 John 4 verse 1 says, Try the spirits where they be of God. We can try our lives to see whether they come up to the standard of authority or not. We can take our lives and lay them alongside a bank and know what we see in this book, whether that's our life or not. James chapter 1 verse 22 and the American Standard Version of verse 23 rather says that it is the mirror of the law of God. And unless we see our life coming up to the standard of the Bible, then our lives must change. Many people today are wanting to change the Bible rather than change their life. The Apostle Paul predicted that that would be true. He said in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 3 that they'd have itching ears and they'd hate for themselves teachers after their own lust and turn aside from the truth and turn aside on the fables. And that's just what that is down there. Fables of life. We must stand for the Word of God and live by the Word of God. You hear this evening and not a child of God. Jesus gave his word so that you might be saved. Paul said it's the power of God unto salvation. If you're willing to believe it, to repent of your sin, to confess the name of Christ before men and be buried with your Lord in baptism for the remission of your sin. Hebrews 11 and verse 6, Luke 13 and verse 3, Matthew 10 verse 32 and verse 33, Acts 2 and verse 38. If you're willing to be obedient unto that, Hebrews 5, 8, and 9 says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Having been made perfect, he became unto all them that obeyed him the author of eternal salvation. Those who obeyed the gospel in the second chapter of the book of Acts and in every example of conversion by, were added by the Lord unto his church. Acts 2, 41, Acts 2, 47 then you can serve him there all the days of your life. Serve him as a faithful child of God, living according to the pattern that the Lord intends with Christ dwelling in your body. Then when you face him in judgment, you'll have a home that will wait called heaven. If you're here tonight in subject, won't you come as together we stand and sing. <laughs>